right, everybody, welcome to New Life. It's so good to see all of you guys here. I want to say a big hello to everybody worshiping with us at one of our campuses and online. My name is Jeff. I get the unique privilege of uh, being one of the pastors on staff. And uh, today we are wrapping up our current teaching series we entitled Rescued. Rescued, right? But before we go into that message, I just need to know, how many of you guys are excited to be at New Life and excited to worship Jesus today with us? Come on. Come on, let me hear you. Yeah? I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it, man. I love it. Hey, um, look, Rescued kicked off on Easter. I don't know if you guys were here on Easter, but we kicked it off, and uh, we talked about what it looked like to be rescued by God's grace. That was a, that was a powerful, you know, concept, to be rescued by God's grace. But then we've gone on these last couple of weeks to talk then about, okay, so then you're rescued by God's grace, so now what? Right? So it was rescued in week two, rescued for a purpose. Week three, which was last week, we were talking about rescued to belong. All right? Now, this week, we're going to talk about what it looks like to be rescued to love. That's the, that's the concept today. Rescued to love. So, look, when I, when I was entertaining the idea of talking about this topic, rescued to love, I was instantaneously, as a communicator, very challenged. In fact, in all of the messages that have been a part of this rescue series, it's been a challenge. And the challenge is this, that a lot of the topics that we're talking about, if you've been around church for any length of time, you've heard these types of topics. And the challenge for me is not to go into the Bible and try to find some new revelation, right? Because that's not what I'm searching for. But what I am searching for is a way to deliver God's word in a fresh way that would allow you to be challenged in your inner core so that when you walk out of one of our auditoriums today, that you would walk out differently than you walked in. And that's my whole goal. My goal is that God would allow his word today to be a sword that shapes you and challenges you to be the follower of Jesus Christ that he's called you to be. And so I know that when I say, well, look, we're going to be talking about what it looks like to be rescued to love, some of you are like, okay, good, and you already start checking out. You start checking into your phone, you start, you know, going to Facebook, you're like, I got a text message I need to reply to, right? You got something like that. And I just want to encourage you today that, look, I, I'm, I've done my best to bring to you a fresh approach to what it looks like to be rescued by God to love others. And today, I hope to leave you with a fresh view of what it looks like to love others. To do that, though, we need to start back at the beginning. We're going to start with some pretty deep but, but yet simple questions, okay? And I want you to entertain these ones with me. You know, where did you come from? That's one question. Where did you come from? Now, these questions, you can look at them from a scientific perspective. You can look at them from a humanistic or a philosophical perspective. I, I obviously am challenging you to look at them through the lens of a theological perspective. Where did you come from? You could actually look at that one even from a sexual perspective, right? So where did you come from? And I, the next question would then be, and you're just thinking about these to yourself, right? right? The next question is, where did this thing called life come from? This existence of ours, right? Where there are billions of human beings living on this earth, which obviously then leads us to a third question. Where did this idea of earth come from? And then lastly, it leaves us with the, the last massive question, which is, what was the fuel for the source of our universe? 
And again, in every one of these questions, you can look at them from multiple different angles. And unfortunately, in the day in which we live, there is such a temptation to look at these kinds of questions just from a humanistic, scientific, philosophical perspective because everybody's got an idea out there and the internet is full of theories and concepts, some of them being factual through a scientific perspective, but rarely do we ever think of these kind of things through the lens of a theological perspective. Because when you do, where did my life come from? Where did this idea of life on earth, you know, come from? Where did the, the idea of earth, you know, show up? Where is the fuel that the universe was created from? All of those answers, all those questions come back to one solid answer, and that is the love of God. Period. I don't know what you, what you do with science. I, I like science. I'm very intrigued with the scientific you know, approaches that have been taken to try to discover this thing called dark matter. Have you heard about that? Right? This elusive aspect that seems like science is going, we think that maybe this holds the universe together. Well, look, not from a scientific perspective today, but from a theological perspective. Look, I got, I got good news for you. I can tell you what holds the whole universe together. And it's not something to call dark matter. It's, it's something called God's love. It is the love of God that was in existence before the earth was ever created. It was the love of God that was in existence that came up with the fuel to say, let's create this universe. It is the very love of God that caused you to be in existence today. In fact, you and me, when you look around and you see other humans that are in here, just by looking at another human instantaneously drives home the truth that God is who he says that he is and B, that God is love. Your very existence gives that off. It's the love of God that's really holding the whole thing together. And we know that when we look at 1 John chapter 4. It says this, and read it. I want you to read along with me because there's moments when I'm going to ask you to verbally, you know, uh, interject your voice with my voice in, in finishing some statements here in this scripture. It says, dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from who? God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God. Because what does it say next? For God is love. God is love. Love comes from God. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and his only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. So God started love, right? He started with love, and he sustains us with love all the way into eternal life with him. For this is real love. Watch this. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. We think somehow, some way that love started with us. And I've got interesting news for you today. That love isn't a physical driven emotion started by man. Man can't own it. It didn't start with man. The Bible tells us right there, this is real love. What is real love? Not our love towards God. That's how we think all the time. We go, let me show you what real love is. Look at how I love God. And the Bible goes, that's not even what real love is. Real love is that is what God did when God sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sin. That instantaneously tells us it was love that was at the foundation of all creation. It was love at the very existence of your life. It is love that is going to sustain you. It's not our love. Our love isn't what true love is. 
We're just a reflection of what true love is. So dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. Why? Well, because we've been saying it through this entire passage. Love comes from God because, look, what is the very essence? What is the character and the nature of God? It comes back to those four letters, L-O-V-E. It's love. So therefore, you were rescued by God's amazing love to do two things. One, to love him, and two, to love each other. And it appears that God takes our love very serious. He takes our love, our love to him, and especially our love to one another. He takes that very serious. So let's talk about this morning, what does it look like to be rescued then to love? So if you're taking notes, you're going to want to write down Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5, it says this, imitate God. (laughs) I mean, just stop right there for a minute, right? How about if we don't read anything else in that scripture? It says this, imitate God. How many of you guys instantaneously are like, that is a little overwhelming. Imitate God? I mean, seriously? Yeah, but look, it, it goes on and it gives us some of the solution, okay? Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do. Wow, that, that I got a little deeper. Because you are his dear children. Now watch this in verse 2. It says, look, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. So we're called here to imitate God. But I want you to notice what we're called to imitate God in and the ways that we're not called to imitate God. Like it doesn't say that we're to imitate God in creation, although many of us would love that idea. Like it was like, hey, imitate God and create things. Like when God spoke and the sun lit up, how many of you guys would love to like speak and something were to happen? That would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? There would be a lot of weird things running around this earth. I'm going to tell you that right now. Weird things. Because you guys have got some weird ideas right now. You're like, I know what I would create. No one else wants to see it. All right? God didn't also say to us, hey, imitate me in, um, you know, ruling. Ruling over others. And some of you, you like that idea. Really, you love that idea, like, yeah, rule over others? You better believe it. I got good ideas, and people ought to follow them. And God didn't say here either that we are to, you know, imitate him in judgment, you know, towards others. Although some of you, you are really natural at that. Judging, right? We're not called to do that. that. That's not what we're called to do. We're not called to imitate God in those ways. In fact, we're called to imitate God in what verse 2 says. Look at verse 2 with me. How does it say we're supposed to imitate God? By living a life filled with love. That's still intimidating. But all of a sudden it starts coming into the the scope of like, this might be possible. Imitate God by living a life filled with love. That would be a beautiful place to live, by the way. You would be an amazing friend. An incredible marriage would come out of that. Amazing parenting would come out of that. Right? Incredible discipleship and mentorship would come from that. If we were just to imitate God by living a life filled with love. But then it goes on and it says, and also, look, by following the example of Christ's love. What was the ultimate picture of Christ's love? And the ultimate picture of Christ's love, right, was him sacrificing his life on the cross. And then scripture goes on to say, look, there is no greater love. Right, that anyone can display for one another than to lay down one's life for a friend. So yes, he's even calling us to live a life where we are willing to sacrifice who we are 
to follow him. But, but when I think about what does it look like to live a life full of love and to live the example of Christ's love, I'm drawn to an encounter that happens in John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, Jesus is standing outside and he's teaching to those who have come to listen to him. And then all of a sudden, there's this group of religious leaders who think they've got it all figured out, and they drag this woman who's probably scantily clothed, if, if even clothed at all, and they drag her up in front between Jesus and the crowd, and they drop her to the ground. And then they turn to Jesus and they say these words to him, Jesus, look, you're out here teaching, you're out here claiming that you got all the answers. You tell us what we should do, because the law says that we should kill this woman, we should stone this woman to death. Because she's committed adultery. Jesus, what do you say? And it was a trap. It was a trap for Jesus. You know, because here's Jesus in front of all these people out in public. Now what is Jesus going to say? He's going to say something that goes against the law? So what Jesus does is instead of engaging them in that kind of, you know, uh, setup, he kneels down on the ground and he starts to write in the sand. And nobody knows what he was writing. Okay, but we know this, that when they pressed him because they got like frustrated with whatever he was writing. They said, Jesus, come on, tell us, what should we do? He stood up and he said, let him who has no sin cast the first stone. That's what he said. And then he knelt back down and he kept writing. Then the Bible goes on and it tells us that the oldest of those religious leaders who had drugged that woman in front of him started to leave first all the way to the youngest. It was like the wisdom of age realized, I'm wrong, I'm going to leave until, you know, the foolishness of youth finally got the picture and left. And then it's just Jesus, the woman, and, and the crowd. And Jesus says to the woman, woman, where are those who accuse you? She goes, they're not here. And then Jesus goes on and he says these words to her in verse 11, neither do I, basically, neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. See, this story like blows my mind away when I'm contemplating the love of Christ that I am to be imitating. I'm to imitate this kind of love here. This is the kind of love that God's calling me to imitate. So look at the example of the love of Jesus set for you and me that we are to be imitators of, full of love, loving others with the example of Christ. That's exactly what the scripture said that we're basing all of this principle out of. Look at the very first thing that he does. He moved the line of love to an uncomfortable place for you and me. It's uncomfortable to love the person caught in sin. But Jesus did it anyways. Jesus moved the line. He goes, look, not only am I going to love you, I'm going to forgive you. There was something going on in that moment where Jesus sensed this, you know, sorrowful repentiveness of this woman, and he forgives her, and then he tells her, go and sin no more. But it's messy to be a Christian church. It's messy to be a follower of Jesus. It's messy to be someone who wants to actually imitate Christ in his love. It's one thing to call yourself a Christian. It's another thing to model the love of Christ. And it's not easy. It's very difficult. It's a challenge. It was never meant to be easy. It was meant to be difficult. It was meant to get messy, right? When Jesus moved that line, he's asking you and me to move the line as well. That is going to challenge the inner core of who you are. But also notice what Jesus does here in modeling this love. He becomes the, the defender of the weak. That woman couldn't defend herself. But Jesus stepped in and he did it for her. 
And for you and me, we're called to be the defender of the weak. We're called to step up and, you know, protect, protect the one who's being bullied. We're called to step up and protect the one who right now emotionally just can't get through the next day. We're called to step up and to love the person who is maybe down and out financially. We're called to step up and love the person who is going through the divorce right now. We're called to step up and get messy with people. It's not easy. You get messy with people. He became the defender of the weak. He calls us to become the friend of the sinner, to get into the mess with people right where they are, even though they haven't surrendered their life to Jesus Christ yet, become the defender of the spiritually weak as well. That's what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You don't get to just come to church and sit on the pew and hear, hear a sermon and sing some songs and give and an offering and go back and do whatever you want for the rest of the week. We are called to be imitators of Christ. And Jesus is moving the line of what love looks like. Because he also did this for us. He showed us that we are to be restorers of hope to the sinner. Restore hope to the sinner. You know what that means? That means the church isn't for the people that got it all figured out. The church is for people to come in through its doors and to confess, I don't have it all figured out. My life isn't lined up with God's word, but am I welcome here? And if we want to love like Jesus, the New Life Church at all of its campuses and online and everywhere else we might plant a campus always has to be planted with the idea in mind. And we have to run every service with the idea in mind that we're here to restore hope to those who are far from Christ. And today I hope that that happens for you. How do we do that? We love you right where you are. But we love you enough that we're not going to leave you there. And that's why you're going to hear a message like today. Like it's okay to come in just the way you are, but look, it's not okay to leave the same way. We should be leaving changed, changed by the maker. Today, if you want to love like Jesus, that's what, that's what we're called to do. And Jesus spoke the truth. That's another aspect of what he modeled for us in love. Loving people isn't keeping them from the truth that you think is going to offend them. It's delivering it in such a way that they can receive it. He spoke truth to those harsh religious leaders. And he spoke truth to the woman caught in adultery. You can do both things. It's possible. Lastly, though, and I think this is profound, you want to know what it looks like to imitate the love of Christ? You have to put the needs of others over your reputation. What will people think of me if they see me hanging out with so-and-so or this person or at that place? What will people think of me? What will people think of me if they invite this particular friend and they come to church with me and they see me sitting with them? What will people think if they see me getting into the mess with people and loving them and helping them? What will people think? You know what Jesus was like? I don't care what people think. I'm going to love this woman in her moment of need. And in doing that, here's what I'm doing. I am establishing the image of my father that I want this world to see. And guys, when... We stop caring about our reputation and start meeting people in their need. We start loving them in Jesus' name. We start imitating the love of Christ. This is super challenging, though, but that's why you were rescued by grace. You were rescued by grace to participate in loving others in Jesus' name. That's what 1 Peter 1 tells us. Look at it. It says this. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. Basically, you were rescued. You were rescued. So now... You must show sincere love. Say sincere love. Sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all of your heart. 
I love that. Since you've been rescued by God's grace, here's what we're supposed to do. Show sincere love to each other. What is sincere love? Well, another way to say sincere love would be able to say it this way. To say pure love. A pure love. And when you think of like a pure love, then you instantaneously should let your mind go to this thought like, well, pure love isn't a manipulative love. Have you ever been loved by someone? Well, have you ever had someone who said they loved you, but then you just found out that they were just manipulating you? Is, how do you feel after that? Like, you feel gross. You feel horrible. You feel like you were taking advantage of it. It makes you want to go punch a hole in a wall and just make sure it's drywall. <laughs> Otherwise, it's really going to hurt. Like, it just ticks you off, right, that you thought they loved you only to be manipulated. And I don't use this next example to offend anyone, but probably one of the greatest examples I can think of in this category would be like the young man who only has one thing on his mind, and he's dating the girl, and he just keeps telling the girl, I love you, I love you. And he does things to even show that he loves you, right? He does things. But after you have sex with him, you find out his true colors because really all he was doing was manipulating you. That, that is a painful illustration. It's a painful illustration for both sides of the coin. But definitely painful for that young lady. Why? Because someone lied to you. Someone said, I love you. But you found out really in the end all they were doing was manipulating you. See, we don't love to get. We love to give. If your love has anything to do with what you're going to get out of it, it's not the kind of love that... Christ is going, imitate this. It's a love that's given. Like Jesus, like God's word even tells us that, look, you know, before you and me even followed Christ, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He displayed the ultimate picture of love when we were standing like this to him, when we were rejecting him, when we were cursing his name, when we could care less about his principles. He showed love. And he couldn't get anything in return right then. True love isn't to get. True love is to give. And it's to give of yourself and to give of the best of you so that the other person is the best. That's what true love is. That's what it looks like to imitate Christ. And it's no easy manner because that 1 Peter 1.22, it also said that, look, here's what we're commanded to do. Love deeply with all your heart. Here's the picture, church. There is no entry level to loving people in Jesus' name. You either are or you are not. There's no middle ground. You don't get to wade into the pool of loving people in Jesus' name and imitating Christ's love. You either are, you're in the deep end, deeply love with all of your heart, or you're out and you're standing on the shore. It's one or the other. And you've got to ask ourselves, are we willing to pay the price To love people in Jesus' name. Are we willing to go that far because that's where God's calling us to? But why is Jesus calling us to that type of place where, by the way, he knew. He knew you're going to get hurt if you love like that. He knew people are going to take advantage of you if you love like that. He knew that your emotions are going to be like a roller coaster sometimes if you love like that. Why would he put us in that kind of a place? Why would he call us to that kind of pain? In John chapter 13, 
Jesus said these words. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Why would Jesus put us in this place of loving each other in a very vulnerable way that knows we're going to get taken advantage of and get hurt? Well, first off, first thing that stands out of this passage is that we have to love each other like Jesus loved us. The reason why he called us to that is because it's difficult. And by the way, let me go one step beyond that. He called us to that, to love each other like, like Jesus loved us, because it's impossible. Okay? It's impossible. You can't do it. Yeah, well, that doesn't make much sense. No, it makes all the sense in the world. When he calls us to this new command to love each other like he loves us, and he knows it's impossible for us to do that in our human strength, then there's only one solution, and that is this, to lean into, to be desperate for, to be hungry for the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our life. That if we don't have the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our life, we can't pull that off. If, if we're not constantly surrendering to the Lordship and the leadership and let the Holy Spirit love through us, we can't love like Jesus loved. We don't have enough fuel in our tank to do it. We are not good enough to do it. We're not good enough to sustain it. We can sustain it for a short time and it becomes manipulative. To sustain it for our lifetime requires a true obedience to the lordship and leadership of the Holy Spirit in our life. That's the primary reason why we are called to do this impossible act in and of ourselves. So that we become closer to Christ. So we become more dependent upon Christ. That's the first and foremost thing. It was God's intention. But then secondly, there's a reward that comes when we give ourselves to loving each other in Jesus' name. And that's this, that now our love proves to the world that you're a follower of Jesus. That's part of the mission of Christ. is for our love for one another to start proving to the world that God's alive. That Jesus is who he said that he was. And that he is alive and well inside of our souls. It becomes love then, true love dependent upon the Holy Spirit becomes the true engine of evangelism. And it's less about you knowing how to defend your faith and more about you surrendering to your faith that becomes attractive to this world. Now look, I, we all need to know how to defend our faith. But the source is, of evangelism isn't you being able to argue your faith point. The source of evangelism comes from your surrenderedness to the gospel of Jesus Christ so that his love is constantly filling you so that you have love to display to others because it's the, that's the way that the world knows that you're a follower of Jesus. And this is what our communities need right now. Our communities all across this nation are in a crisis right now. And the solution is Christ's love. That's the solution. Right? But we're, we're, we've got issues, and part of the issues is this. We've got to let some of our borders down. I'm not talking about the borders in an immigration fashion. I'm talking about the borders that are in our heart and in our mind. We've got to let some of those things down, and we've got to start loving 
you know, people that look differently than us. We got to start loving people that think differently than us. We got to start loving people that come from a different background than us, who are raised differently than us. And if Jesus followers sit on the sidelines and we don't engage, then the solution that solves our nation's problem is left on the sidelines. And the solution is found in the church and it's found in believers. And it's the love of Jesus Christ flowing through believers into this world that proves to the world that God is who he says that he is. But today, look, you might not have a national voice. I don't have a national voice. We can't sit around and go, well, I don't have a real voice to bring change, so I'm not really going to do a whole lot because I just don't want to screw it up. You might not have a national voice, but you got a neighborhood voice. You might not have a national voice, but you got a family voice. You have a voice. And your voice does influence someone. So don't let your commitment to Christ sit on the sidelines. Surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and then just simply love people in Jesus' name. Use what you got. So let me end maybe with some of these thoughts, some practical applications, some practical things that maybe we can engage ourselves in you know, to be imitating the love of God in the world in which we live in. How about this? Let's get more diversity in our friendship. Search after that. Why? Because God's diverse. We, we serve a diverse God who created diversity all around us. You want to love like Jesus loves? Get more diversity in your life. Spend time listening to other people's stories instead of always sharing yours. We're horrible listeners. But the more that you hear other people's stories, the more that your heart grows in its capacity to love people that are different than you. Listen to other people's stories. Volunteer to serve in your community to those who are in their greatest point of need. Find a ministry. Find a place to volunteer, even if it's, even if it's a day every other month. I don't care what it is. Right? Even if it's just on Thanksgiving or Christmas, just find a place, get involved to meet the needs of people that are in their greatest place of need around you. And it will start increasing God's heart inside of you. Right? If, if those kind of things don't seem like a, like a fit that you can't really connect with, capture God's heart right, for this world, his creation, by being a kingdom builder. It's amazing what happens when we give up some of our finances and we say, God, I want to be a part of your mission, that then God has a way to shape and, and, and you know, transform our heart to love more like his. If you want to go like, you want to go real, real deep, then become a foster parent. Do something like that, right? Love, love people right now that are the outcast. Love, love the orphan. Love the one who's been, you know, rejected. Like bring them into your home. Take that kind of level of sacrifice, Go on a global outreach trip. Go someplace else on this planet when we get a chance to do it. And, you know, put yourself in a place where you need, you desperately need the Holy Spirit to help you. Put yourself in a place that's totally different than yours. Guys, I'm just here to tell you today that our world is desperate for you to love it in the same way that Jesus did. So that the world would know him and they would know his love. They're desperate for it. But you can't give what you don't have. So our first move today is to gain something from Christ so that we have something to give. And for some of you, it might be surrendering your life to Jesus for the first time. For others of you, it could be surrendering your bias. I need to surrender that. Because if I don't surrender it, then it's tainting my love. 
It's tainting my ability to see people the way that Jesus does. So my bias keeps coming up. Some of you need to surrender your judgmental heart to Jesus so that you can truly capture his heart for the world. I don't know where it came from, right? It, it, it could have come from per, some of your experience. It could have come from your family that you grew up. I, I don't know. But if, it, if it's not lining up with God's heart, don't carry it around anymore. It's just corrupting your heart. So surrender your, your judgmental heart. So basically it's this, guys. Ask Jesus to cleanse you from sin and to change, to change your false beliefs. If we can come to him with that kind of attitude, he can retool us so that when we go out of these doors, we truly have been rescued to love. Let's not keep the rescued part of God's grace just to ourselves. Let's not be selfish that way. Let's be rescued by God's grace so we've got something to give that produces life in others. And remember, it's an impossible mission without the authority of the Holy Spirit in your life. So part of your big prayer here this morning is this. Holy Spirit, come, change the way I think. Come, empower me, right, to love even when I don't feel like loving. Help me to love others in Jesus' name in a way that shows to the world that you exist. If we come to the Lord with that kind of a desperate prayer, he'll answer that prayer, and he'll use you in a more profound way this week than maybe you have ever experienced before. So you were rescued by God's grace to love others in Jesus' name. That's the mission of the believer, and it's possible if we surrender to the Holy Spirit today. So why don't you stand with me? Let me pray for you. Lord, I pray for this church, and I, I ask you that, Lord, you would, you would release the power of your Holy Spirit upon our campuses, and you would transform the way that we see ourselves, you would transform the way that we see your creation, that, Lord, we would have a hunger to love people that they're different than us. You would have a hunger to love people that are closest to us, that we tend to take advantage of. We would have a hunger to love people who are far from us on the other side of the planet. Because God, every single one of those human, are, are human beings that you love, you created, and you care for. And that's how we need to be. You rescued us by grace, giving your life on the cross and, and defeating death so that we could love people. And we would show the world that your mission is still alive and it's still well and it's still conquering this earth one soul at a time. May we be a part of your mission by surrendering to the Lordship of the Holy Spirit right here, right now, so that we can accomplish this impossible mission in our own strength. We can accomplish it through your strength to be imitators of God. In Jesus' name, amen.